Well, if you want to go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to be closing out our time in 2 Timothy this week. If you don't know me, if we've not met yet, my name is Jared Perry. I'm the Southwood Youth Pastor here at Grace Bible Church. That's my crew right here. Uh, we work with uh, the 7th and 12th graders here uh, and the, the awesome college volunteers that we have as part of this crew. I've loved getting to be a part of it. They encouraged me this morning by telling me that uh, we could form a boy band based upon the mic that I was wearing, so I feel loved today. It's going to be fantastic. But we are wrapping up 2 Timothy. These are some of the last words that Paul will give to this man who he loves, this man who he's discipled. As Paul is nearing the end of, end of his life, this is what we see in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to follow to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful again for this morning, for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you and praise you for being the God who makes all things well, the God who makes the hard times well, the God who makes the good times well, and the God that gives us hope and confidence in your ability to be faithful to us and give us wellness. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would teach us that we would not be distracted by the cares and concerns of the outside world of our semester and the things that can so easily, God, distract us. But Father, I, I ask that this morning would be a time when you would teach my heart, teach our hearts about this truth that we have in this text. So I want to ask you to take a second and pray for yourself. Like John Mark said, pray, pray that your heart would be soft. The Lord would be able to keep you from distractions this morning and that you'd hear his truth in this text. Pray that also for those around you, for the other people in this room, if you know their name, but pray that this community, this church this morning would not be distracted, but that the individuals would, would be able to learn the truth that God has for his church. And finally, pray for me. I, I think this is a, a really important text and uh, I'm excited to be able to teach it, but pray that it it just wouldn't be my wisdom or my understanding, but that the Lord would be communicating his truth to you today. Well, Father, we pray these things in hope because you are good. And we ask them in your son's name by the spirit. Amen. I had a pretty easy choice as I was transitioning from junior high to high school. I was in a large, uh, large high school. I graduated 714 people, and I had been like the third string cornerback on the B team for football. And so that was not my future athletically. Um, 
But tennis, I'd seen some success in. I had I'd played tennis uh, in junior high and had enjoyed it and had a good time. And so I decided that's where I was going to focus the little athletic effort that I had to give to Deer Park High School. Go Deer. Um, and so that's where I went. That's what we did. Uh, I focused on tennis and I I, uh, I got a coach and, and we did private lessons and we were doing all this stuff. I even, I, I need to confess to you guys, in college I would tell people that I played varsity as a freshman. What I left out was the only reason I was on varsity as a freshman was because the advanced math class I was in met at the same time as freshman tennis. So it was just totally unearned. Um, but I wanted to look cool and that's all I had. Because you're not going to tell them, like, oh, look, I was in an advanced math class as a freshman. You know, like, nobody's going to think that's awesome. So playing varsity tennis, I'm playing with guys that are older than I am, that are more physically mature. They've been playing tennis longer and some guys that were really good. Uh, And so I got to get a lot better at my game. We were working on forehands, working on backhands, working on serves, doing all the kind of stuff that you need to do. But this thing would keep happening to me where I'd get into games and I did not expect myself to win. So I'd come in very uh, loose and the games would often end up with me getting out ahead because I was like, oh, this is fun. And we'd get ahead of people and then it would start being like, oh, wait, I could actually win this game. And then all of a sudden I start freaking out like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to win this. So this serve needs to go really well. And then I hit a serve out and then I would start stressing out. And I, I get one more, okay, so let me try this next serve, and I, I'm getting ready, and then I hit that one in the net, and then the whole rest of the game, in my mind, would be me just kind of battling with this idea of, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. I, I, don't know, I don't know how to win. I don't know how to fix this. Like, don't lose this game. And, and it got so bad to the point where we were driving home uh, one day, and my mom looked at me, and she just goes, you know, Jared, I just, I don't know that you have the killer instinct. And I was like, Mom, that doesn't help. Like, how? Why would you do that? And so, um, but that was the reality was, you know, high school boys oftentimes, no offense dudes, take like three weeks just to tell somebody, hey, I like you. Like, much less tell someone, hey, I've got all these mental things going on in my head in the middle of this match. And so I could physically prepare myself, but mentally, man, I was all over the place. I had no idea how to mentally get ready. I had no idea how to mentally prepare to be a tennis player and to stand there on that line all by myself with just me and my mind, I wasn't ready for it. Paul has been spending his time in this book preparing Timothy for the rest of his life and ministry for a time when Timothy would not have Paul standing there next to him. And Paul's goal is to ready Timothy for that life of ministry, to ready Timothy for a life of being engaged as a Christian in the perils and trials of this world so that Timothy would persevere. And so this morning, we're going to look at this section as Paul is wrapping up and look at these last words and look at what does Timothy need? What do we need? What is Paul communicating as the foundation for Christian readiness? And we're going to see that Paul says this. Christian readiness is founded in knowing the purpose and provision we have received from God. Christian readiness isn't founded in our action, our abilities, our success, our failures. Christian readiness is founded in knowing the purpose and provision we have received from God. So let's jump right in to this section. Because Paul's going to say that before we can get started in talking about this issue of Christian readiness, the first thing we have to recognize is we have to recognize our weakness. Look in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God... 
and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, Timothy was a pastor, and there's probably not a ton of pastors in the room right now. So the question is, Jared, why is this important for us? What, what's going on here? Well, it's true. Paul is talking to Timothy specifically about his life as a professional minister. But the exhortation that he makes here is founded in a reality. It's founded in a season that applies and affects each and every one of us. And so for Paul to say, be ready in season and out of season, is imperative to us. It recognizes this truth is not just for Timothy. It's a reality about this world. So what is that reality? Let's look in verse 3. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Hmm. So what Paul says is there's a season coming in which people will not endure sound teaching, but that their ears, he uses this, this Greek colloquialism, their ears will begin to itch. It's the idea that as we're looking at this, you get a hint to it later. They have a passion. They have an interest. They have something that is a driving force for them that they need an answer for. And they're not satisfied with waiting for patiently for sound doctrine and sound teaching to provide the answer. They want to jump ahead. They want to get that spot scratched in just the right way. And so they take that passion and they go look for teachers who will answer and address that passion the way they want it addressed. Growing up, I was a huge Houston Astros baseball fan, right? And so when I went to go buy baseball cards, it wasn't about like who was the best baseball player because the Astros were the best baseball players, like duh. So whenever I went to go get cards, I only got Houston Astros cards. I mean, yeah, I'd get some other ones, but I only really cared about like, did I get a Craig Biggio card? Did I get a Jet Bagwell card? Because they're the best like ever to have ever played this sport. Because that's who I wanted. And so this idea of accumulate teachers is carrying kind of that same idea. That these people have different passions, different interests, different things that they want people to speak into. And instead of listening to the truth, instead of recognizing everything, they're going, I just want to bring in teachers and bring in lessons that only speak to the things that I'm passionate about and that I'm gifted in. And so Paul's telling Timothy, this is a reality for our culture. This is a reality for people in general. Interestingly, my Bible translates this with the word people. The typical Greek word for people is not in this text. The word that's used here is a participle, and it would literally mean uh, the ones who do not endure. It's not one single person. It's, it's, it's open-ended. Paul is recognizing the ones who do not endure can be a variety of different people. And he's pointing out this weakness that we have within us, this tendency that we have to get those little passions, to get those things that interest us, and to want somebody to scratch that itch for us, to want somebody to meet that need. Well, then we see what happens. Look in verse 4. That as we begin to find those teachers who will teach us what we want to hear, we end up turning away from the truth and wandering off into myths. This Greek word for wander carries with it the idea that you are walking down a road and then you turn aside and you take a different path. And the path here is into myth. 
It's something that's not true. It's a story that's been concocted and, and made up and presented as if it was true. But this story's not true. And that story took you off the path that you were meant to be on. But the reality is we have to recognize this weakness because it's in each and every one of us. This weakness isn't limited to just the people that Timothy was working with. It's not just limited to Timothy. But if we want to talk about Christian readiness, it starts with the foundation of recognizing our own weaknesses. And recognizing specifically this weakness in us to chase those passions that we have. For me, I saw this most clearly whenever I was out of college uh, because I was a huge Texas A&M fan. I still am. I love Texas A&M football, whoop, kick them, all the things, okay? We are the Aggies. The Aggies are we. And so I was here during a time when sometimes Texas A&M was good and sometimes we were just really bad. Like, how do you lose to Arkansas State? Like, how does that stuff happen? When I first started falling in love with A&M, we were losing games to Texas Tech, and I was just going, it's Texas Tech. Come on. Like, how is this happening? Their coach is literally probably a pirate. Like, how are we losing to this football team? I don't understand. And so for me, everything within me wanted Texas A&M to be good. And so we had the Aggie Savior that showed up wearing number two in maroon, and he was from Kerrville, and it was awesome, right? Johnny Manziel brought us a Heisman Trophy, and he brought us victories in the SEC, and he beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and everything was great. And I was so passionate and so fired up that as I would begin to hear things about his character and begin to hear things about the stuff that he did off the field or see stuff he did on the field, I would just be dismissive. Yeah, 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 that's okay. Or let me explain that situation. You don't understand. This thing happened, yada, 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 because I care about Aggie football. And that's what matters. And in my passion, Johnny was scratching that itch for success. And I was willing to forgo the truth of what I believe about character and what we believe about how to play the game the right way sometimes. And even up here now, I'm like, but I love Johnny Menzel and I want everyone to know that. Like, it's still hard for me to say that. But the reality is that's the danger is these passions that we have can sometimes be really good passions. Like you have that person in your class or at work who's same-sex attracted or they're living a gay lifestyle. And you know, and I know, the church hasn't always done a very good job of loving that person. We've been really bad at that a lot in the past. And you know we want to love them well. That Christ has called us to love them because God created that person. They've been made in the image of God. And Jesus Christ died so that they could know the Lord. And you're walking that path, though, and you're looking ahead to what does it mean to love that person and thinking, if I follow sound doctrine, that means we're going to have to have some hard conversations. And this road that I'm walking on might get rocky. And so you're willing to divert down a different path and chase a different passion that's not necessarily bad but it might be leading you astray. You sit and listen to people in the workroom or if you're in school in a locker room type situation that's speaking about people in a way that you know that's not okay. Somebody's gossiping. Somebody's speaking bad about women. And you know that's not okay, but you're worried about your popularity, your status. What's your boss going to think if you speak up and say you can't speak like that about people? 
And so those passions, those desires that you have, which might be good things, will cause you to not stand strong. And guys, we have to recognize that weakness inside of us. We have to be willing before we start to talk about our readiness to say we have a weakness. We have this issue within us that if we're going to face and address the issues of our culture, we need to recognize that our passions will get in the way if we let them. That our wants and our desires will cause us to step off the path that God has intended for us and to go astray. And so Paul starts by reminding Timothy that this is true about our culture. This is true about us as people. This is who we are. We have this weakness. But thankfully, the foundation of Christian readiness isn't dependent upon us. It's dependent upon the following. The next piece that Paul makes, the next point that Paul makes is to remember our purpose. Because once we recognize our weakness, we can get a little lost. But Paul says this in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he comes back to Timothy and he speaks specifically to him and says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. And I stop here and I'm like, okay, I don't know that I'd call myself an evangelist, right? I don't know many people who would call themselves an evangelist, but, right, Timothy was. So, okay, Paul, what does this mean? Why is this important? I think the next phrase is so key. Paul encourages Timothy to fulfill your ministry, and ultimately that's the reality for us as well. That once we have recognized our weaknesses, the next step to Christian readiness is us taking this step of saying, God has called us to a specific purpose and a specific ministry that we are to accomplish. Now look, honestly, at times, I think I've got the easy job here, right? God called me to be a pastor, and there's like, you know, I can work at a church. That's really what I do. But I was friends with a lot of guys in school that were engineering majors and business majors and education majors and people that were doing different things. And we're having conversations about, wait, what do I do with my life? Where does God want me? He hasn't made it clear to me that this is where he wants me to go or this is what job he wants me to do and I've not seen any writing on a wall or heard anything. So what step do I need to take? If you've not heard of a guy named Oswald Chambers, he does a fantastic job, I think, of speaking into this situation. As he encourages us as Christians to recognize when we aren't clear on what God's next step is for us, Our job is to excel at the revealed. Our job is to look at the things that God has made clear to us and to do our best to excel at those things. So let's ask, what has God revealed to us? What is our purpose? We'll look at Matthew 28. Jesus says to his disciples and he says to his church, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You want to know what your purpose is? You want to know what God has for you? For every single Christian out there, this is what God's plan is for your life, that you would go and make disciples. This is what God wants from you. This is what God wants from us. How do we do that? Look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
That we go and make disciples by being witnesses for Jesus Christ in all of these places. And God has made it clear to us that we are to make disciples by being his witness. And so we want to ask, what's the Lord's will for my life? That's it. He's made us clear. He's given to you, to me, to every person in this room who calls themselves a believer that purpose. Okay, but how is that helpful in our readiness? What's important to recognize that Paul told Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And Paul will go on to use this analogy of the church as a body. And that within the body you have eyes and you have ears and you have hands and you have feet. And each body part plays a different role, but they're all part of one body. And that body is all moving and working for one thing in one direction. And if you have an eye trying to be an ear or an ear trying to be an eye, that's going to go really bad because, you know, genetics. But also, like, it's just not how this thing was intended to work. And so God has given to his church, to his people, different gifts and different abilities, different services, different activities that we are to engage in to help fulfill the ministry of the gospel. Timothy's role was as an evangelist. Each one of us has different gifts. You may be an evangelist too. You may have the gift of hospitality and the opportunity to host people in your home to be a part of the gospel in that way. You may have the gift of mercy, the gift of generosity. You may have the gift of teaching. There are a variety of gifts that God has given to us and he's called us to participate in our ministry But the foundation of that is recognizing that this is from the Lord. This is not something you've done to earn those gifts or not something you've done to take those gifts of your own. The Lord has given to you this purpose. Do this thing in this way. And if you accomplish that task, I'll take care of everything else. And so Christian readiness is founded on remembering our purpose and how God has directed and given us a place to grow. When I was growing up, uh, we used to have responsibilities as far as cleanup in the house. And Saturdays, as I remember it, especially in the summer, but definitely um, pretty much all the time, Saturdays were house cleaning days. And so uh, my mom did the bathrooms and she was great. I was the duster. Uh, and so I would dust all of the, uh, all of like the, the TV cabinet stuff and uh, dust the dressers and, and that kind of stuff. My middle brother was the vacuumer. And so he would go vacuum around the house. I cannot for the life of me remember what my baby brother did. I might be telling, uh, but I don't know. Uh, but each one of us, dad was outside. He would mow the yard and he would take care of the outdoors. But all of us had a job, right? All of us, except for baby brother. But all the rest of us had a job where we all had something that we had to go do that was part of this to keep our house clean, right? And so each of us did our different thing. And if, if Lance didn't vacuum, then, you know, our floors were dirty. And if, if I didn't dust, then it was you know, we had all that dust stuff everywhere and mom didn't clean the bathrooms. We're not even going to talk about that. But things got really bad if people didn't do their jobs to keep our house clean. I went to college and I lived with a buddy of mine who uh, I'd grown up with and and we'd been in high school together uh, and we stayed in a dorm for two years together. 
And that second year was a lot better than that first year because the first year we didn't prioritize cleaning, all right? And so basically cleaning for us was, um, did you wash out your ravioli bowl after you microwaved it? Yes, that was it. And this was never more apparent to me than when we left and we had a rug that was in our room and we took the rug out and when we picked it up, this like huge Exodus level cloud of dust came up out of nowhere and it was like, this is, this is really bad, guys. Because the reality was that my roommate and I had really just kind of cleaning and doing our own thing, right? We'd been cleaning based upon what worked for us, cleaning our dishes, cleaning our stuff, and we weren't really thinking about the whole. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can do that. We can be lone rangers, and we can go into this, and we can come on Sunday morning, and we can think, this is just about me, cleaning up my stuff, dealing with my issues, me getting right and refreshed, and then leaving, And the reality is that Lone Ranger perspective on what we do here will eat us up. It'll eat us alive. And God has called us to be a people that are about cleaning up together. That we're to be about the restoration and health together. That we help each other be clean and be holy. And we help this world be clean and be holy together. We don't do this thing alone. And so God has called us to remember our purpose That as we seek the restoration of this earth, we seek this restoration together as a people that don't have to try and do everything perfectly in and of ourselves, but that I can say, I'm good at this thing, but my wife's good at this thing, and my parents are good at this thing, and my coworker is good at this thing, and we can come together and serve this community for its health and its wellness. And so when you look at Christian readiness, not as your own success, not as your own abilities, but when you look at what God has provided to you and you remember the purpose that God has given to you, that we would accomplish the restoration of this world through the church, we learn, okay, I can fulfill my ministry by not trying to be all things to all people myself that we as the church can come together and say, we are going to try and meet these needs as a family. And ultimately, that's what God's called us to. And so as we think about Christian readiness, it's essential after we recognize our weakness to then say, we remember our purpose. We remember what God has called us to. We remember how he's called us to live this life. And Paul's going to end this section talking about his provision, but before he does, I want to recognize the reality that some of us here may not know what your spiritual gifts are. You may not know how you're gifted. You may not know how the Lord has provided for you. And so here's two things I want to give you as resources. Um, The first is this website. Um, I know that looks like you're going to sign up and then Grace will bombard you with emails. That's not what that link will do. Uh, I promise. It's a safe website where you can go and you can take a test on your spiritual gifts. Uh, and we've used it before in the past uh, here at Grace, and we, we really like it. It's not definitive, but I think it can be helpful for framing for you some ideas of how am I gifted. Another thing you can do, uh, and this isn't on the screen because they're sitting hopefully next to you or they're in your classes, is talk to the people that know you. Do what Timothy did. Paul spoke to him and said, you're an evangelist. This is how you're gifted. And I hope that each and every one of you has people in your life who can speak into you and say, this is how you're gifted. This is how you benefit the church. If not, initiate those conversations 
Maybe not in that language because it's a little weird, but maybe say, like, how like, has the Lord used me in your life? Like, where do you see God using me to help people? It's an opportunity for you to speak to those around you. And if you don't have believers in your life that you feel comfortable having that conversation with, we've got so many small groups here at Grace Bible Church, our home groups, our college groups on Thursday night, that I know would love to be places for you to have an opportunity to do that. And finally, maybe... Maybe you're already out in the world and maybe you're already doing some different things and you're wondering, but Jared, how can I fit in? How can I fulfill my ministry when I'm not a pastor? I know we've talked about this book a lot, but Tim Keller wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor that I would highly encourage you to get if you're not thinking or seeking ministry. Um, It's a great opportunity and he does a fantastic job to reframe our thinking about work and think about it from the perspective of God has given to us a purpose. And work is a place where we live out our faith and so if you've not read this yet and, and, and you think that maybe I'm a housewife and so what can I do? Or I'm a financial analyst, what can I do? Or I'm an auditor, what can I do? Or whatever it may be, I'm a teacher. You have opportunities to fulfill your ministry because God has given not just to pastors opportunities to fulfill their ministry. But he needs all of the body of Christ to have that perspective. And so we'd love for you to read this book and check this out. Talk about these ideas. But after talking about the need to remember our purpose, Paul comes back and reminds us that we need to remember God's provision. Look for me in verse, chapter, verse 6 of chapter 4. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love this verse whenever I was growing up. I love this section. I mean, how inspiring is that? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This was so, so good for me. But at the same time, my own weaknesses and my depravities would eat me up. Because it's like I was standing at the tennis line, at the service line again. And I would try and be trying and trying to be that guy to whom the Lord could say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I would be working so hard. And when I failed, all I could think about and focus on was my failures. All I could think about was, God, I let you down again. I failed you here. I did this wrong. And so that verse was so difficult for me because of how it would cause me sometimes, honestly, to despair. Satan would use it. Even though it was true, he would try and twist that truth in my mind. But I love this section because of what Paul says at the beginning that we can miss sometimes. In verse 6, it says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering was a really interesting offering. It was one that you never offered on your own. The drink offering never came on its own. It didn't come as just, hey, I'm going to the temple to offer a drink offering, right? It was always a part of another offering. The drink offering couldn't satisfy for sin. The drink offering was an offering of celebration. Paul's saying here that all of his actions and all of his works is pouring himself out as a drink offering in celebration of what Christ has done for him. Christ was the true sacrifice. Christ was the true offering. Paul and his work and his efforts are merely a byproduct. They're merely a celebration of what Christ has done. 
And Paul is reminding Timothy in this section to remember the Lord's provision. Look in verse 8. Henceforth it is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Paul recognizes that because of his faithfulness, God is going to bless him. And we see this in other verses. Look in James 1. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And in all these passages, God is reminding us that he has been faithful to us by promising us a future. That as we struggle and deal with this life now, as we wrestle with the pain and the trials, God is reminding you, I've provided rest. There is a future coming for you where I will provide you rest from the pain and the struggles and the trials of this world because I love you. But it's not just pointing to the future provision of God that Paul wants Timothy to remember. Look in verse 1 of this same book. Paul uses this term appearing, which he used in verse 8, and he says this, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul is saying to Timothy here in verse 8, that we look to the provision that God gave us, not just that he's promised in the future, but that God gave us through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he abolished death and brought life to us because he was the one who lived on this earth when he didn't have to, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That he lived a perfect life and died in our place. He was crucified for us so that anyone who believes could have eternal life. And then he gave us victory. Victory over sin, hope for a future by raising from the dead. This is what God has provided for us. And this is that which Paul points us towards. As a reminder, if you want to be ready, Christian, you have to remember the Lord's provision. Not your own works, not your own faithfulness. Those things are good. But you have to remember the Lord's provision. You have to remember how God has been faithful to you. And so we look at this, and we know for this reality, yes, we must remember our purpose, but we also must remember God's provision, which honestly sometimes is hard. Those seasons and those trials come, life gets difficult, and we want within our hearts to believe that God is good, but we also, we just want some relief. We just want things to feel a little bit better. The hardest part of my week, honestly, is going to the gym. Let me explain why. Well, it is what you're thinking. But it's also, we have, the way our gym is structured is we have a lot of classes in the morning, a lot of classes in the afternoon, uh, and then an open gym period that's kind of like right after lunch. And for me, getting myself to go to the gym often comes down to, am I going to go to open gym or am I going to go to an actual class? And here's why. When I go to class, 
I have a coach and I have people that are there with me so that when I want to quit, which is all the time, I feel motivated to continue on in that process. When I go to open gym, I just coast, okay? I'm just being honest with you. That's just what happens, right? I get in there and I do my warm-ups really slowly and then I get to the workout and I'm like, I don't really need to do all that, right? I'll do part of that, right? And nobody's around. I'm able to do whatever I want to because nobody's really around in that open gym and nobody knows what's going on. But when I go to a class, I'm there with people who know me and I'm there with a coach who's able to sit there and say, no, 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 this is hard, but you can do it and this is going to be worth it and let's stick with it. Which, by the way, I went to class on Saturday, so if you see me walking funny, that's why. But it's the hardest part of my week because everything within me wants to look at the hard thing. I can see the workout online, which is terrible. And I know I don't want to go do that. That's going to hurt so bad. And I just want some relief. And then we look at moving into these situations, though, where we need to be reminded and need to remember what the goal is. We need to remember why we're doing this. And when we try to do that on our own, we fail. Because remember, we recognize our weaknesses, and we know. When things get hard, when things get tough, I've got this tendency to give in. And the reality is, that each and every one of us has to try desperately to remember God's provision. We have to figure out who's that coach, who's that person that can stand there next to you so that now you're not standing on the serving line thinking about, I've got to get this second serve in, but you've got a coach there and you've got family there and you've got a teammate there and maybe you've got a doubles partner. Somebody there is alongside of you. That's a lot of tennis analogies, but there's a lot of people that are there alongside of you to say, this is what matters. And instead of being in your head and thinking about your failures and thinking about your stress and thinking about your trials, that somebody can say to you, God has provided good things, both in your future and in your past. And so for your present, you can know and believe and be ready. And so we have to find ways to remind ourselves of God's goodness to us, Christian, if we desire to be ready for what's coming. For me, the best thing has been working with these kids and these volunteers because they love the Lord and they're seeking after him. And as I watch them serve and desire to know him, and they're not perfect and neither am I, but being in a true community of people that's honestly seeking to love God and love others, man, there's nothing better We had a student just a couple weeks ago profess faith in Christ for the first time. It was awesome. I got to be in the room, and it was, I was like on cloud nine. I didn't sleep that whole night. I kid you not. I was up all night because I was so fired up. Because I got to see clearly this is what God is doing. If you're trying to remember who God is on your own, it's just going to be so hard, and you don't have to. God has given to you for this season, if you're in college, or for however long it is, these people... And this can be a place where you can remind yourself of God's provision for you. So we're going to end in a different way today. I can't do this for you every day, but I can do this for you on Sunday morning when you're in the room and I get to decide what we do. (laughs) We're going to end with worshiping the Lord together. And we're going to celebrate and sing about who our God is and what he's done for us as a reminder to us the necessary aspect that this is 
the need that each and every one of us have to corporately come together and worship our God for who he is and what he's done. To not make this just a Sunday thing. To not make this just a part of just this morning. But Christian, if you want to be ready, this has to be a regular practice. Because Christian readiness comes down to this. It's founded in knowing the purpose and provision we have received from God. And so take this time. Stand with us, please. And let's worship.